Amen. Thanks, Brad. And thanks for reminding us about volunteers, especially Kids Fest volunteers. You guys appreciate those guys? When my kids were little, I really appreciated having the Kids Fest volunteers, especially that one volunteer that said, please, please, please give me your baby because I am the baby whisperer. I can make your baby stop crying. And then halfway through the service, we were called out of the gathering because my baby had projectile vomited on said nursery worker. And that's probably not going to happen to you if you volunteer, although it's pretty fun. I don't know. That'd be kind of a cool experience. Be a story to tell. But I, I miss my kids being little. There were, there were some special moments when they were little, some special times, like, like our bedtime routine. Anybody got a bedtime routine or re- remember your bedtime routine with your kids? Uh, maybe maybe you, you babysat or something like that. We had this routine that we used to go to, and, and, and I usually would do one of three things. I would read them a story. I was talking to my daughter the other day, and she said, I don't remember any of the Chronicles of Narnia. And I said, I'd spent a lot of time reading those to you, but they would normally nod off to sleep pretty quickly, which was great because we were trying to settle them down. I think I spent most of my life just trying to get them into bed during those days. You know, all, that, all those hours, brush your teeth, get your jammies on, all that. Finally, you settle them down. But sometimes I used to tell them stories from the Bible. And my kids are pretty inquisitive, so they'd go, wait a minute, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. What about this? What about that? And then I'd be all perked up and like, hey, let's have a conversation. And mom would be out there going, excuse me? They're supposed to be settling down right now. Sometimes I would tell them stories from my own life. And usually some sort of embarrassing story about myself when I was a kid or something. And usually they would start laughing, which again would rile them up a little bit. And I remember when they were young, for about a nine-month period, we lived in this house that was built in the 1930s down by the river. It wasn't a van down by the river, but it was a, a house down by the river, down by Lake Austin, actually, which at that part of it was kind of like a river. And uh, if you ask my kids about this house, they'll tell you it was the yucky house. That's how we refer to it. Uh, We lived there for nine months. It was so small that I could sit on the couch, lean forward, and change the channel on the TV set. Literally. It was just this tiny little house. When we moved in, there were cockroaches everywhere, which didn't make a suburbanite from Silicon Valley very happy, especially when that two-inch Texas-style juicy cockroach crawls under your bare foot and you scream like a little girl, which did happen to me. I, don't, I, I didn't like those things, so we had to kind of take care of that. Uh, at one point, there's an army of them, like, walking on our back deck, just waiting to get in, kind of going back and forth. I'm like, get me out of here. The house had some mold in it, and, and we, our whole family, I think, got sick at one point from that, so we had to kind of clear that up. And it was just this place that was kind of yucky, and that's why we call it the yucky house. My son, on the day we moved in, fell out of a tree and broke his arm, so there was some bad mojo going on. I don't know what it was, but I have to tell you this, that on those nights where my kids would all kind of gather into the one room that they had to share, because it was, it was the only room that they had, time would just slow down during our nighttime routine, and it would just just stop at times. And it was a beautiful moment. We would laugh together and sometimes we would pray together and they would share kind of some stresses of the day with me and, and, and they would share their concerns and I would, I would pray for them. And in that moment, in that cockroach-infested, moldy, yucky, bad mojo house, for that time, it became a sacred space of relational connection for me and my kids. 
It was where my time overlapped with their time and my heart interlocked with their heart. And it was in those moments, not just in those moments, but in those moments where some of our relationship was formed. And this is prayer. Prayer is a sacred space of relational connection between us and God. It's the space where our hearts can overlap and interlock with the heart of God. And it's in prayer. It's not just in prayer, but it is in prayer where our relationship with God is formed and we're able to experience in a unique way His love for us, His power for us, His direction for us, His forgiveness for us. And so we've been talking about prayer these days at Lakeside. Think of prayer as a circle of friends around a fire pit. Or think of prayer as a really long road trip with your best friend. Or a nice dinner out with the one that you love. These are, these are all sort of pictures and metaphors of what prayer can be like. But prayer is also a bit of a mystery. Prayer can be like a maze sometimes. It can be like a dry, dry desert. It can be like a long and winding road or a dark night of the soul. And so we've been saying that prayer sometimes is beautiful, but prayer sometimes is difficult. But I have to tell you that it's in prayer in my own life where more than any place else I've experienced the solid footing of what it means to have a relationship with God. It's in prayer that things, although sometimes confusing, start to make sense. It's in prayer where my pulse rate and my anxiety and my worry start to go down, even when the questions aren't answered right away, sometimes when they're never answered. And so we've been inviting you to pray over this last several weeks. In fact, a a couple months ago, we had a prayer and worship night where we gathered together and there was singing, but we also prayed together and we talked about the the stresses and we we even confessed our sins together. And, And it was beautiful. It was this moment where people came together praying together and people were baptized. Over the last couple weeks, we've been encouraging you to pray and to think about prayer. Pastor John talked about just being yourself in prayer, just just talking from your heart. And he had some people around him that kind of prayed in a certain way, and he really didn't fit into that mold. And John's story is is sort of like my story, and and so he had to kind of find his way to pray and just, just be himself and just talk to God like a friend. Pastor Brad taught last week about how to use Scripture in prayer and how to weave Scripture and, and the kind of the content of our prayer to help guide us and direct us. Sometimes we don't have words of our own, and we need to open up the Bible to help us with those words. And so we've been inviting you to experiment, to try it out, to see how it goes. And so let me just ask you this morning, how's it going for you? What are you praying about these days? Who are you praying for these days? What's the burden of your soul? We're going to wrap up our series on prayer this week. And really, it's a series uh, that's a part of a longer journey, really a series of series. And we've been talking about this thing at Lakeside called the Well-Crafted Life. And we've been on this journey through five different topics. This is the third one, but there are five different topics that we're calling crafts. There's generosity, and there's scripture, and there's prayer, and there's service, and there's connection. And what we've been saying is that as you lean into these crafts, as you 
practice them, as you try them out, they're really life-changing. They begin to mold us and shape us because participation leads to transformation. And we believe that God wants the well-crafted life for each and every one of us. Sometimes we call it the abundant life. Jesus actually called it that at one point in time. Sometimes we call it being the very best version of you that you can possibly imagine. It's a life of, of what some people call discipleship. A disciple is somebody that follows after Jesus and they show other people how to follow after Jesus. And so we believe that God wants the well-crafted life for all of us. Now, maybe you're on this spiritual journey where you're investigating God and you're not really sure about this whole Jesus thing and you're wondering and, and it's the week before Easter and, and maybe you're going to come to church on Easter and maybe you've been to church on Easter before and you've heard about this Jesus that was dead and he rose again and you're not so sure about that and you're not so sure about prayer for sure. And you're just wondering, I want you to know that when we invite you into the well-crafted life, when we invite you to follow after Jesus, What we don't want to invite you into is sort of this rote, legalistic, strange, um, angry sort of religiosity. That's not what we want to invite you into. We're not out for your money. We're not out to sort of force or manipulate your political views. And we don't want to be known for more for what we're against than what we're for. When we invite you into the well-crafted life, really it boils down to a couple really simple things that Jesus talked about. He talked about loving God and loving everybody else. And so what we want to do is invite you into a life of love. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he described who our neighbor could be and really It's basically anybody, including those people that we wouldn't normally like and those people that wouldn't normally like us. And so what we've been learning about this well-crafted life and what we've been learning about prayer is there's this vertical sense to it. It's, It's us and God. It's this sacred place of connection. But it's also a horizontal thing because it can't stop here. Jesus said, they will know you for your love. And so we need to go out and we need to love people all around us. And that's what we invite you into. There's this vertical, there's this horizontal, and there's actually a third direction as well. There's an inward direction. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And for some of us, that's the hardest type of love. Because there is pain, and there is guilt, and there is shame, And there are patterns of dysfunction that go back generations for some of us. And there are hurdles that we sometimes can't seem to clear. But Jesus is really clear. I want you to have a right relationship with yourself so that you can rightly love others. And so as we participate in prayer, he doesn't just connect with us, but he begins to transform us. And he actually gives us the power to rightly relate to ourselves and to others as we rightly relate to God. And so let me ask you, how you doing these days? What you praying about these days? Who are you praying for these days? 
If you have your Bible, you might want to open to the book of Acts. It's in the New Testament part of the Bible. It's actually a book of history. But if you have your phone and you have the YouVersion app, pull that up because there's a whole bunch of bells and whistles on there and there's some things, there's some notes on there. If you go to the events uh, or if you go to the more and then you click on the events and then you click on Lakeside Church, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there. And I'm not going to read a whole passage of scripture for you today, but I'm going to touch on on some things in the book of Acts and, and, and one other place. I was with our our staff, our, our leadership team, our pastoral staff back in November, and we had a short retreat that we went on together. And before one of our sessions, we just sort of walked through the book of Acts. We didn't even make it all the way through, but what we were doing is we were trying to locate every place in the book of Acts where we found the very first Christians praying. Acts is a book of history about the birth of the church and what the early followers of Jesus did and how, how, how things grew and how miracles happened and how people boldly were proclaiming the love of God for all people and how they ran into conflict and all sorts of things were going on and they were traveling around the world that they knew at the time. And all along, we noticed that they were praying about all sorts of things in all sorts of ways in all sorts of different situations. Like right from the very beginning, Luke, Dr. Luke, the author who we think wrote the book of Acts, he starts off right away in verse 14 and he says, they all join constantly in prayer. At this point in time, there's about 120 followers of Jesus. And Jesus had hung out with his disciples, his followers. There was a larger group than, than just the 12. But Jesus goes away, which is a story for another time. He goes into heaven. And they had at one point asked Jesus, how do we pray? And now they had to put it into practice. It's sort of like Jesus wrote the music, and now they were playing the symphony. They had to go out and do this. And Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to help you in this. I'm going to guide you, direct you. I'm going to convict you. I'm going to show you and connect with you. You're not alone, but you're going to have to go out and pray. And right away, the very first thing that they did was they joined constantly together in prayer. Later on, there's a decision to be made. Judas wasn't around anymore, and so they had to sort of replace him. And they, they gathered together, and they prayed about it. It says, then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry. An apostle was a leader in the early church. And it just sort of became the rhythm of the early church. In fact, at the end of chapter 2, there's a summary statement of the things that were most important to the early Christians. And this is what it says in chapter 2. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And then in the very next chapter, it was just a daily rhythm. It says, it says, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. It's just what they did. They just prayed all the time in all sorts of different situations. In Acts chapter 4, there's a prayer for boldness and power and healing and for everyone to see Jesus. In fact, uh, somebody had been, had been healed in chapter 3, and there was some conflict there, and they weren't sure really what was going to happen. And, 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 and they were told that they shouldn't speak in the name of Jesus, these early disciples, these early apostles. And the religious leaders of the day confronted them and said, you guys got to stop this, and there's this argument going on. 
and they were scolded, and, and, and nothing really bad happened to them. But in chapter 4, they leave, and, and Peter and John, they go and they tell the rest of the group what was going on. And, and really, there's about 3,000 followers of Jesus at this time. So I don't know who exactly they told, but they got together and they prayed. It says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And then there's this kind of long prayer that they pray. And after that prayer, it says that the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And so they were confronted by the authorities of the day, and they were saying, you got to stop this. They went and prayed together, and they went out and spoke boldly. And they spoke so boldly that they got themselves in trouble. I mean, it, you would figure that if they put Jesus on a cross and they're doing the same things that Jesus did, that things are not going to go well for them. And a couple of them got put in prison and they got flogged. Look up flogging. It's no good. They flogged Jesus. It's really, really bad stuff. And they leave there rejoicing after they were flogged that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. I mean, what kind of prayer is that? It's amazing stuff. In chapter 6, there's another conflict of leadership. The church had swelled probably to about 10,000 at this time, and there was a group of people that were being overlooked. They were being left out. They were hungry, and they weren't getting food. And so they talked about it. The leaders dialogued about it, and they decided to use wisdom, and they decided to say, hey, let's recruit more leaders. We've grown, and let's bless them, and and let's have them go and and feed this group that's hungry, that's being overlooked, because we don't want to overlook anybody. And so there was a prayer for direction and wisdom and unity. Things could have blown up at that point in chapter 6 of Acts. There could have been conflict. There could have been an an internal civil war amongst the leaders in the early church. Part of the problem in chapter 6 is an ethnic problem. It's a racial problem. And they solve it. They come together and they pray together and say, God, would you provide In chapter 7, there's a man named Stephen, and Stephen is an amazing debater. He's an amazing speaker, and he's he's debating some of the uh, religious leaders, and they can't can't answer his questions, and and he keeps on uh, talking with them. And at the end of this long speech, they're so angry that they pick up rocks and they start throwing them at Stephen. And he is stoned to death, and right before he takes his last breath, he says, God, don't hold this against them. It's a prayer for forgiveness for his own murderers. There's prayer in chapter 8. We see Saul, who became Paul, praying in chapter 9. And we see somebody else praying over him in chapter 9. And you can go on and on and on. In fact, it almost seems like on every page in every chapter, there's prayer. And if I'm Dr. Luke and I'm sitting down and I have the scroll in front of me, there were no verses and there were no chapters when he wrote it. But he has this theme of prayer over and over again. What am I trying to tell my audience if I write a story like that? Luke is probably writing 30 to 60 years after these events took place. And he's, he's saying, remember the last generation. Look and see how they lived their life. And I think what he's trying to tell them is, wherever you are, no matter what you're facing, in the highs and the lows, just pray. This is what followers of Jesus do. Doesn't matter if you're a leader, doesn't matter if you're a follower, it doesn't matter what you're facing. Just practice the craft of prayer. And I think that's probably what God's trying to tell us 2,000 years later as we engage the story. 
The Apostle Paul said the same thing to a church in Ephesus. You can read about Paul going to Ephesus in the book of Acts. And at the end of the letter of Ephesus, he says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. How's that going for you these days? And what does it look like for us? What does it look like for you and I to practice prayer like the early followers of Jesus did? Maybe we just start by praying for the people that we know. Sometimes we call it an oikos at Lakeside Church. Uh, it's a, oikos is the Greek word for extended household. These are the people in your life. These are the people in my life, the people that I know. Some of them are following Jesus. Some of them have yet to follow Jesus. What if we just started praying for those people in our oikos? What if we prayed that they would know the love of God? What if we prayed that their hearts would be open? What if we prayed that we could have the time and that we would take the time to sit down and just listen to the stories and the cares and the burdens that the people in our oikos are are carrying these days? What would that look like for you? What if you prayed that you could have the opportunity to ask them to pray for them? What if you prayed that you would have the opportunity to share your story and your journey? I, I have a list, and I just I go through that list, and I pray for those different people in my life. And sometimes people leave my oikos, and new people come into it. What if we just started with the people that we know? In the same chapter, uh, Paul the Apostle continues on in in Ephesians chapter 6. And and in the very next verse, he says, pray also for me. He says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. The gospel is good news. It's this good news that God loves us so much that he gave his son. That Jesus died and he rose again and wants to have a forever relationship of unconditional love with every single one of us. This is the gospel. Paul wanted to make that mystery really, really clear. He says in verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in chains. He's actually writing this from prison. He says, pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. When I read that, I think if Paul the apostle needed to ask for prayer then so do I. So what if you prayed for me? I I would love that. What if you prayed for the leaders of Lakeside Church? What if you prayed for our ministry partners? What if you prayed for the volunteer leaders that are taking care of some of your kiddos right now or the volunteers that work out in the lobby or that, that cut the lawn out here? What if you prayed for Lakeside, for our mission to become true to transform as many people as possible into passionate, productive followers of Jesus. I love it when people tell me they're praying for me. There's been times over the years where someone's written a note or they've come up to me out of the blue and said, hey, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for your family. I love that. I pray for my wife and my kids. And man, I, I, I need your prayers. Brad needs your prayers. John needs your prayers. Our pastoral staff needs your prayers. We want to have wisdom and, and we want to We want to have our hearts guarded because there is an enemy that seeks to kill and steal and destroy. Another thing that Jesus said, he he didn't just say you will know them by their love. He also said you will know them if you are, they will know that you are my followers if you are one. So you can pray for wisdom and unity and all sorts of things. Love for you to pray for us. In fact, pray for me because I'm a little frustrated right now and I'll tell you why. Yesterday I woke up. 
And uh, this will show you how I don't always go to prayer right away. I woke up and I got, an, uh, I got a call. I had a voicemail that there was a problem with this ministry thing that's going on. Nobody here at Lakeside, no, nobody did anything wrong here, but I, there was a problem. And I, I was, I was, Fridays are sort of my day off, and I, I got my cup of coffee, and I'm ready to pull up. You know, I'm going to do my quiet time, and I'm kind of easing into the day. And I, and I love Friday mornings because of that. And sometimes I'll sit out on the porch if it's sunny and it's great. And so I'm ready to go, and I get this call, and I just get angry, and I get frustrated, and I get in my car, and I get over to the office really quick, and now I'm working, and now I'm into it, and I'm on the phone with three or four different people, and I'm really, really frustrated. And what had happened is, um, in about 10 days, I'm supposed to go to Africa, and I'll tell you about that in a minute, but this company that has my, that, that's doing my visas, they lost two of my applications. And so they're like, hey, we got your applications in March, and uh, we don't know where they are. I'm like, you got them in March, and you don't know where they are. Fortunately, they didn't lose my passport. So my passport's sitting in D.C., but the other two applications are gone. So I'm in here rushing, you know, my, um, I had to fill out applications again and rush them off to D.C. And, and get this going. So you can pray that those would go through. But for me, I was just mad. I was angry. I was frustrated. And I'm working on my computer, and I'm trying not to yell at the people on the phone because if I yell at them, they might not do what I need them to do, and I'm trying to be calm and, and, and nice and everything. And then I realized, oh, I'm teaching on prayer tomorrow. <laughs> Way to go, dude. And so I just stopped, and I just prayed, and I just calmed down. And I have to tell you, the ride home was much more pleasant than the ride out here. And I really, I really got to the point where I'm like, okay, here's my hands, God. They're open. It, you know, if, 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 if it works, great. If it doesn't work, it's, you know, you, you're in control here. I'm excited about this trip. I've been asked by a friend of mine that Holly and I support. She's a missionary in Kenya for about five years. She's a part of a group that does church planning and education and medical work and, and all sorts of things. I've been asked to lead a pastor's conference for the last five years, and so I'm going to go over there and do that. So I'm going to speak at a couple different conferences over there and meet with some teams, some leaders of different churches. And then I'm going to go over to Malawi, and I'm going to visit Mary Beth. And most of you know Mary Beth, and I'm super excited to, to meet her on her turf and, and, and in her backyard and meet her team and, and meet the kids that she works with and the leaders that she works with. And then from there, I'm going to go over to Mozambique, and I'm going to uh, hang out with Roger and Lynn Schmidt and their team. And I'm super excited about that. Holly and I got to spend some time with Roger and Lynn when they were here. And, and it's just going to be a great time of learning and reconnecting, leadership development. And it's my hope that we will be connected even deeper to our ministry partners. So I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray for this trip. And on the first weekend of May, when I get back, I'm going to tell you some stories about that. And so you can pray for that journey uh, for me. But lots of different things that we can be praying about. What if you prayed for our nation, for our land, for our state, for our city? Unless you just woke up out of a long sleep, you know that there's been turmoil What if you prayed for our world? Things going on over in Syria these days. It's a disaster. Pray for those things. What if you prayed for the people that don't like you? Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, I think we throw the word out, throw the persecution word out too easily in this country, quite frankly. You start reading the book of Acts and you see what persecution was. You start looking in some of these other countries and you start seeing what persecution is. And so I think we need to be careful about that. 
And I think it begins by being on our knees and praying for those people that wouldn't normally like you. Jesus says, they are our neighbor. And this is a challenging thing to do because I get angry just like you do. And I get stubborn just like you do. And I want to cross my arms and say, God, would you smite this mighty smiter of smiting them? And I want to pull the Jim Carrey, and it just doesn't work. Part of what happens in the vertical is God melts our heart, and he changes our heart when we put it in his hands. And he will give us a love for people that we wouldn't normally be able to love. It's a supernatural love. What if we... What if we prayed for those types of things? What if we just prayed? Just, just start. Just start anywhere. Start with whatever's on your heart in your own words. long time ago when I was in college, I took a class on prayer because when you go to a Bible college, they have these sorts of classes. And um, the teacher of that class was Bryce Jessup, whose dad, Bill Jessup, started William Jessup University. And Bryce was teaching the class one day. And I looked up to Bryce and uh, respect him so much. He's in his 80s now. I, I've known few people that seem as intimate with Jesus and as loving as, as Bryce. He was a very formative person in my life. And so I said, Bryce, how do you pray? And I was curious because I had some other mentors in my life at the time, which I loved dearly and respect a whole lot. But the way that they prayed just didn't fit me and it didn't fit my personality. And so Bryce, in front of the whole class, looks at me and he says, I prog. I said, say, what? Is that a Greek word that I don't know yet? What what are you talking about? No, I pray and jog. And I thought, is that legal? Are you allowed to do that? And he started to talk about he was sort of kinesthetic, and and he liked to move, and he wanted to get out and get some exercise, and it's just where his mind could be clear and it could be free, and he would just prog. And I thought, oh, maybe there's more ways to do this. So I go on long walks, I go on long jogs, I go on bike rides, I go for long car rides. And yes, I I sometimes pray on my knees. Sometimes I'll lay down flat on my stomach. Sometimes I'll sit in my comfy chair and pray. There was a time when I never prayed without my guitar. Um, I haven't played my guitar for 15 years or whatever, but there was a time when I would just pray and I would sing songs. And so part of the journey is to kind of figure out what works for you. How are you wired? What's the best way that you can connect with God? It's not about giving God a certain time of day. It's about giving God a certain type of person. So when are you at your best? Give God your best. This is what it talked about in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, when they would give God the first fruits. Just give God the first fruits of your heart. Give God your best. Just spend time with him. And actually, when you're at your worst, give that to God too, because he's big enough for that as well. I can still see my kids' eyes in that little yucky house in that room. My oldest son was way up high on one side on the top of his bunk, and then my daughter was way up high on the top of her bunk over here, and then my little guy, who's not so little anymore, was down below. I loved that space, that sacred space of relational connection, the overlap of our hearts and the interlocking of our love for one another. And as the journey has gone on, I've had to find different spaces because it doesn't work like that for us anymore. Sometimes it's around the kitchen table. Sometimes it's going out to lunch or going to a coffee shop or 
going on a road trip together. It's just different as we grow. And as we grow with God, it changes over time. But what doesn't change is God's invitation for you and for me to come into that sacred space with him where our lives can be changed.